Another great episode of Mystery of Parenthood coming up. If you like what you hear, go to redsearadio.org, click on the donate button, and become a monthly sustaining member. Please support us. Thank you, and God bless. Good morning. You are listening to The Mystery of Parenthood, and um, we would like you to slow down and uh, take a listen as we talk about all things Catholic and all things parenting. And um, we just uh, are really excited about the guests we have, but we're going to begin, as we always do, with our prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord God, you, from you, every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Father, you are love and life. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, born of woman, and through the Holy Spirit, the fountain of divine charity, grant that every family on earth may become for each successive generation a true shrine of life and love. Grant that your grace may guide the thoughts and actions of husbands and wives for the good of their families and of all the families in the world. Grant that the young may find in the family solid support for their human dignity and for their growth in truth and love. Grant that love strengthened by the grace of the sacrament of marriage, may prove mightier than all the weaknesses and trials through which our families sometimes pass. Through the intercession of the Holy Family of Nazareth, grant that the Church may fruitfully carry out her worldwide mission in the family and through the family. We ask this of you, who is life, truth, and love with the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy Family of Nazareth, pray for us. St. John Paul II, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. We are so excited uh, today about our guests because it's it, timely, and we were, we're, we're actually doing this live um, on this Tuesday, which is not always the case, but we wanted to make sure that we fit this in before the election day, which is a week from today, right? November 3rd. November 3rd. So um, we're excited about our guests. Um, it's me and Thaddeus and Peter Range, all the way from... Are you in Toledo? Where, are you in Toledo, Ohio? Beautiful Toledo, Ohio. That's right, Trey. All right. Well, I think that I'm going to let I'm going to let Thaddeus introduce you, yeah. and then we'll get started. Yeah. On good this morning, topic. Trey. Yeah. yeah, we had a great a great conversation with uh, Pete yesterday, sort of a little pre-show conversation, and he has uh, the honor of being the director of life and justice for the diocese of Toledo. Uh, he has an, an MA in theology from Notre Dame, Our Lady's University. He's also the host of a show on Catholic radio there in Ohio on uh, Annunciation Catholic Radio, right? Called yes, Say Yes to Life. And you also are on the interwebs. You have uh, a show on called The Catholic Vote, which I think has 12 episodes, and it is at awakencatholic.org. So you are just uh, worldwide everywhere. In a lot of places, people can check out your work, right, Pete? It keeps me out of trouble, Thaddeus. It's a great joy to just share the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what all my work is centered on, is sharing that love and truth of the gospel. Wonderful, wonderful. And I know that one of the things that we've we've done throughout the years to say it's understanding your faith and having it is is one thing, but applying it is essential to being Catholic, to being Christian. And so... What we were going to talk about, at least in part today, was from, with your expertise and what you've been doing, is is how do we apply what we know from our faith with regard to civic responsibility, voting, different issues, um, and how can we apply that in our own life, and how can we maybe help our children? Certainly, um, the older ones are good. I know that that's something that I mentioned yesterday with you, but it's true. I had four of my kids for the first time voted they voted early which is good uh but they but they voted for the first time ever in their life so wow. so wow. um and uh, if i can just jump in before we really get yeah. rolling trey i also want to remind people that we are live this morning live on the air so if you have a question or a comment that you want to give while we're talking to to pete you can call in at 85 love red sea that's 855-683-7332 
and let's throw it back to Trey to, awesome. to get us going. So why don't why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into this um, line of line of work and and uh, before we kind of dive into the topic. Sure, Trey. So three to four things about myself. First is really uh, my family background. So my father actually in his life was twice paralyzed in his life from the neck down. The first time from at age 11 from the polio virus, three weeks before he was going to be vaccinated with the polio vaccine. So he regained, thankfully, through some rehab and everything, uh, about 50% use of his right arm. Uh, my tough Irish grandmother made him uh, learn to take care of himself. So he went off to the University of Illinois. He got his master's in journalism. He moved to Cleveland, Ohio, where he's working for the Plain Dealer. It's a big newspaper up in Cleveland. And he was getting a ride home from a buddy one night. They got into a car accident, and he ended up smack dab in between two hospitals, St. Luke's, which was Protestant, and St. John's, which was Catholic. And the cops were like, well, where do you want to go? And so my dad said, well, please take me to the Catholic hospital. So they did at St. John's, and the nurse assigned to his room was Mary Jean Cook. They met, they fell in love, and they were married a year later. So your oh, life can wow. turn on a dime just like that. Now, Dad like you know, used to like to joke that uh, if he would have gone to the Protestant hospital, he would have got the nice Protestant girl. With that being said, he got the good Catholic. So <laughs> he ended up having uh, six kids then, uh, including myself. My dad also used to like to joke that not all of him was paralyzed. I'm like, thank you. I don't want to hear any more about <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that. But they had six kids. And uh, in 1989, though, Dad was suffering from some severe depression anxiety. He was actually thinking about taking his own life. Uh, thankfully, my mom caught him, insisted that he go see a psychiatrist. He did. And the psychiatrist pres prescribed medication was prescribed legally and everything, but it was being made illegally by the company. And it killed uh, 50 people. It injured thousands more. And it ended up re-paralyzing my father again from the neck down. So the last 26 years of his life, day in and day out, completely dependent upon my mom and one of us six kids for his every single need. Um, but I learned a lot from that experience uh, with my father and watching my mom take care of him. I really appreciate what love is. You know, it's a choice that we make every single day to say yes to the covenantal commitments we've made in our life. Um, from there, I went to a little school in John Carroll University and had my life transformed going on a few mission trips, uh, one to Duran, Ecuador. Um, I spent some time in seminary, uh, probably the second main part of my story with the Society of Jesus, the Jesuits, uh, which our Holy Father, of course, is a, a current Jesuit, and had a great experience with the Jesuits. I got to experience the spiritual exercise of St. Ignatius, 30 days of silence with Jesus Christ. And I tell you what, once you spend 30 days in silence with Jesus, you can't look at anyone or anything the same ever again. And so it was a very grace experience to realize the deep, passionate love that Jesus has for me as an individual and as his mm. child. So the third part of my story I'll share is you know, I've spent time working with immigrants in Southwest Florida. Uh, I've taught in the inner city of Cleveland for four years. I lived with homeless men in Cleveland for a year of my life as well. But I found my wife out here in Northwest Ohio when I was working as a campus minister. The very first weekend I moved out here to Northwest Ohio, quickly fell in love. And uh, we ended up dating for about three years and married. And now we have three beautiful children, Gianna, who's four, John Paul, who's two, and then Joseph Peter, who is seven months and teething at the moment and uh, not sleeping very well at all. So if I mess up, I'm blaming everything on him today uh, for <laughs> lack of sleep. Uh, but I will finish with this. The, the goal and purpose of my life is really the abolition of abortion and the restoration of culture. You know, since 1973 in this nation, we've seen 60 million unborn children that have been killed in the womb. And if we don't get this foundational issue right, we're not going to get any other human rights issue correct either. And so I've dedicated my life to saving the unborn and building a culture which restores and respects the family. So I'm so thankful for radio shows like yours that build up the domestic church because that, at the end of the day, is going to be the solution to all the problems that we face as a society and as a nation today. Thank you. Yeah, that I mean, very well said. But that that is exactly um, central to what we've tried to do different side but obviously the pro-life and abortions at the center of it because it's kind of from a sacramental sign we i mentioned last night and most people out there to listen to us know that we've based our, all that we've done on on viewing well marriage is a sacrament so living out a sacramental way with a catholic you know lens <laughs> is is necessary, I think, to 
receiving the fullness of the graces that God um, has for a husband and a wife, uh, a mother and a father. And so um, this is timely because I think part of that is that we have to be um, purposeful in, in the things that we do. And, and we also have to have our eyes and ears open to what's going on. So oftentimes the context in which we find ourselves, the time in which we find ourselves dictates, well, what should we be focusing on now? And so that kind of is the long route to the vote is coming up and, and we have a big election on hand. And, and as parents, um, and as Catholics ourselves, as, as husbands and wives, we have um, a big responsibility to, to not just go vote, but to vote through the lens of the Catholic faith and and through what we've what, what we can learn from it. So, I, I'd like I'd like you to kind of tell us we've got we've got multiple things, but but the hierarchy of kind of the different non-negotiables and and maybe some of the issues that. that I think we talked about also yesterday the fact that how they get attacked even within maybe some Catholic circles and how we would respond so that we can maybe teach our children that um, as well. But anything is that? Yeah, let me let me pick that up, Trey, right there, because I think, you know, these conversations we have with our family members and friends concerning around the election, it's so important that we have them. You know, in 1978, uh, a young cardinal, Carol Watiwa, came to the United States of America and he spoke at a Eucharistic Congress in Philadelphia. And he said this, that we're now standing in the face of the greatest historical confrontation humanity has gone through. I do not think that wide circles of American society or wide circles of the Christian community realize this fully. We are now facing the final confrontation between the church and the anti-church of the gospel versus the anti-gospel. Um, so whether or not, you know, this is the end times, if you will, for each of us, we will all face the, our maker at the end of uh, our lifetime. And so we will have to give an account of everything we have or haven't done. And the government and politics is one of those mountains of influence in our culture and society, which unfortunately the church has kind of backed away from because we have this mistaken notion that the church and state is not supposed to mix. Of course, that wasn't the idea of our right. founders. I mean, even going to John Adams, for example, he said the general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. So even our founders from Washington to Jefferson to Adams understood and believed and knew that our laws, they come from a moral basis and a background. And as even our current Holy Father has called us to, uh, if we care about fighting for justice, if we care about our culture, we must be engaged in the public square. Pope Francis says that the earth is our common home and all of us are brothers and sisters. If, it, if indeed the just ordering of society and of the state is a central responsibility of politics, the church cannot and must not remain on the sidelines in the fight for justice. So number one, Trey, it's just really important that we have these conversations and we're willing to engage in them. But number two, the danger is Sometimes because we get fired up and we're so passionate about them, we don't always articulate the truth in love. And so when we have these conversations with our kids, with our friends, our brothers and sisters, you know, I was just having an email war exchange, if you will, with my brother the other day, and I had to stop myself and call him up and just apologize for not being completely loving in my interactions with him. So first and foremost, we have to pray like never before. You know, I think it was Dr. Peter Kreft from uh, Boston College said that if we understood the power of our prayer, we would never get up off of our knees. So every conversation we engage in, we have to gird and surround that conversation with prayer first and foremost. Number two, we have to love the hell out of people in these <laughs> conversations, realizing that when we're engaging in these conversations, it's really spiritual warfare, right? Um, C.S. Lewis said every inch of the universe is either claimed by God or counterclaimed by Satan. So when you're discussing these issues, it's not just discussing the issues about abortion or racism or the environment. You're really fighting a spiritual battle to articulate the Catholic vision of the human person and the Catholic vision of the world. So we pray first and foremost, and then we love people. Number three, it's really important as well. You know, there's a study out of uh, Northwestern University, I think about 10 years ago. 
It said you can present someone with immutable facts, facts that cannot be disagreed with because they're just so clear and concise and present. But unless you have a relationship with that individual, they're much less apt to receive or understand or accept those facts. So we have to be building our relationships outside of these conversations as well. You know, taking an interest in whatever our kids are interested in, taking an interest in dialoguing about things outside of politics as well. Because if we don't have a relationship and we just call up our brother we haven't talked to in a year and, you know, ask him, hey, who are you voting for? It might not be the best conversation starter. So we pray, we love, and we make sure that we're forming relationship consistently. Now, when it comes to, to voting and looking at the preeminent issues of concern, this is something that the church has spoken about very clearly concerning what we need to focus on in this upcoming election. In their uh, introductory letter to the USCCB document, Faithful Citizenship, the bishops wrote this, the threat of abortion remains our preeminent priority because it directly attacks life itself, because it takes place within the sanctuary of the family, and because of the number of lives destroyed. So abortion is just so incredibly important because it is that foundation for all the other human rights that we care about. Um, and it's not just a, you know, a Catholic issue, if, if you will, it's a human rights issue. Each of us are made in the image and likeness of God, and being made in God's image and likeness are deserving of some fundamental rights, including, foundationally, the right to life. Um, so Trey and Thaddeus, or Thaddeus, maybe I'll pick on you here just for a second. <laughs> do, you ever, do you ever wake up in the morning and just look in the mirror and just say, man, I am really good looking? <laughs> um, I... I, I yeah, I mean, I, I give thanks to God for my uh, <laughs> the body that, that He's given me and uh, and how I look. Sure, uh, are you? Okay. How did who, who, who tipped you off? That uh, were you talking to my wife? Did somebody tell you that I do that when I get up in the morning? Uh, no, but 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 you should, and each one of us should. And I think as we preach human dignity, I wanted to pause here just so that all of our listeners appreciate their own dignity, because each one of us should be looking before in the mirror in the morning and just saying. God, you have made me wonderful and special. St. Gregory of Nyssa put it this way, all the way back in the fourth century, that God did not make the heavens in his image, nor the moon, the sun, the beauty of the stars, nor anything else which you can see. You alone, Thaddeus, are made in the image and likeness of that nature which surpasses all understanding. Nothing, and here's the kicker, nothing in all of creation can equal your grandeur. You know, I think it was St. Augustine said, we travel the world to look at mountains and rivers and valleys, but how often do we just sit and wonder at ourselves, how precious and how amazing God has made us? But that's for every single human person, the individual in the nursing home, the homeless person on the street, and every single unborn child. You know, evil has found its almost perfect victim, if you will, the unborn child who has no voice to speak for it. Um, And so it's dependent upon us to be the unborn child's voice in our culture today. Now, this doesn't mean that we dismiss as a church any politics of human dignity that you know revolves around racism, poverty, hunger, employment, education, housing, and healthcare. But as the bishops taught in their document, the pastoral letter of the USCCB in 1998, being right in those matters can never excuse a wrong choice regarding direct attacks on innocent human life. Indeed, the failure to protect and defend life in its most vulnerable stages, renders suspect any claims to the rightness of positions in other matters affecting the poorest and least powerful of the human community. They go on to use this analogy. It's like building a house. And I've worked for Habitat for Humanity for a little bit. And I know that if the house's foundation isn't solid, then the the sides of the house and the roof itself, it's going to collapse on itself. So as Catholics, Trey, you know, we want to fight for an individual's right to immigrate, individuals' right to good housing and education and healthcare, but how can we claim those individuals have those other rights if they don't have a right to simply live? That's why the church sees this as the foundational life issue of our time. And in fact, you know, the church is also very clear when it comes to, you know, Catholics and our voting and also Catholic politicians as well. And Trey, it's it's a great scandal. I just have to say it that our church isn't addressing this more because we have an individual who's even had videos out there touting his Catholic faith 
faith as he's running for president, speaking right now of Vice President Joe Biden, you know, as a reason to vote for him. And I think President or Vice President Joe Biden has some good characteristics that we should all admire and everything of that nature. But on his policy position on abortion, he fully supports abortion through all nine months of pregnancy and the Democratic platform, which he has endorses. And as he said in one of the debates, he is the Democratic Party platform now. He's embracing the removal of the Hyde Amendment, which means our taxpayer dollars would fund abortions right here in our own nation. But again, the church has spoken out clearly when it comes to this issue of Catholic politicians and the issue of abortion. In Living the Gospel of Life, a challenge to American Catholics, the church said that no public official, especially one claiming to be a faithful and serious Catholic, can responsibly advocate for or actively support direct attacks on innocent human life. So Trey, when we look at this foundational issue, which is a non-negotiable for Catholics, that one of those issues Pope Benedict wrote about himself and spoke about to the European Parliament, that there's three issues that are non-negotiable. And this, this first one is the right to life because it is a foundation for every other human right. So it's important that Catholics know this, understand that, and hear that before they go to the ballot box to cast their votes. Let me jump in here and just remind our listeners that we're hearing from Pete Range. He is the Director of Life and Justice for the Diocese of Toledo. He is the host of Say Yes to Life on Annunciation Catholic Radio there in Ohio, and he has a show on the Catholic Vote, titled The Catholic Vote on AwakenCatholic.org. And you can call in if you have a question, 855-683-7332. That's 85, love Red Sea. Um, Pete, I wanted to ask a, a question. I think that sometimes we have in this this country sort of an unspoken assumption that if you advocate for the pro-life position, that you are automatically um, advocating for uh, free market capitalism under every single circumstance. And, and what I mean by that, because those are because that's a defi- that's also a sort of a defining mark of the Republican Party. There's this unspoken assumption that by advocating for the pro-life position, you are not someone who's willing to say, hey, if we have a pro-life country, then let's design all sorts of public policy around making sure that we can live up to that pro-life commitment and um, create systems and policies and laws in this country that make it um, feasible for women, men, families to have as many children as they want to keep those children to make make adoption, giving up adop- giving up for adoption or taking a child in for adoption as easy as possible, as st- inexpensive as possible. Do you see do you see what I'm saying? I think there's I think there's a disconnect there between the two the, the public policy side of the of the pro-life question. Yeah, Thaddeus. So that's a great question. Great thoughts. And it brings up a few different things for me. Um, the first would just very simply be if you are an issue or individual who cares about justice, cares about social justice, cares about, you know, creating an environment where kids can flourish. You know, we want to be able to, as a pro-life people, make sure that we uh, create that environment. So how do we do that, though? And is that going to be through government policies? Or is that going to be through what the church has always taught? So that's a nice segue to the second really important issue for Catholics, a non-negotiable issue, again, which Pope Benedict laid out, and that is the family. It's kids having and deserving the right to a mom and a dad. And so let me connect these things because, you know, I have a lot of people who think that because the Republican Party, for example, or an individual who believes in small government isn't being pro-life from the womb to the tomb, that they're just being you know, quote, pro-birth, if you will. Um, So (laughs) with that, let me say, you know, I'd rather be pro-birth than pro-death. But, you know, being in the pro-life movement for now 17 years, I've never met one pro-life individual who's not willing to offer their personal finances um, or direct people to pregnancy centers or help out in whatever way, shape or form they can. I mean, right here in Toledo, through our 40 Days for Life campaign, over the last six years, we've had 42 moms at our local abortion facility choose life for their unborn children. One of those moms I was uh, engaged with, her name was Tamisha, 
I met her and I actually uh, offered to adopt her baby, um, to which she agreed to the adoption plan. The next week I took her to the uh, local pregnancy center and she got a little ultrasound pic of her child and she turned to me as I dropped her off at her apartment and with tears in her eyes, she asked me, Peter, would it be okay if I kept my baby? And I said, yeah, absolutely. You can keep your baby. We're not leaving you. Um, I helped Tamisha through an eviction appointment. We got her some good housing, still involved in helping out Tamisha and her little son, Amir Peter, today. So when I think about the abortion issue, sometimes it can be quite nebulous, but we're talking about human individuals here. We're talking about little babies that need help, both pre-birth and then post-birth as well. So how do we create that environment where those little children can truly flourish? And I think that must direct us then to the family. So let's let's take a look at the marriage and the family just for a second. Jonathan Last wrote a great book I, I recommend to all your listeners. It's called What to Expect When No One Is Expecting. And he went over that in our society for many years, sex, marriage, and baby making went together. Uh, that those things, you know, you didn't have sex outside of marriage for the most part uh, before the sexual revolution. You didn't, certainly didn't have babies outside of marriage either. But with the sexual revolution uh, and the proliferation of contraception in our nation, that iron triangle was broken down. Now, if you look at statistics from the 60s and 70s and the increased use of contraceptive use, you have the increased rate of divorces in our nation. You also have the increased uh, abortion rate going straight up with oral contraceptive use again. All of this plays right in line with what Pope Paul VI predicted in Humanae Vitae, uh, if we would use contraception as our nation or we would embrace that. And so you might say, well, what's what's the big deal here? Well, with the use of contraception and the breakdown of the family, you also have an increased rate of children being born without fathers in the households increasing exponentially since the 60s and 70s of the sexual revolution. In the African-American community, for example, that's as high as 72% now of children born without their dads in the home. In all uh, races, it's around 40% right now. Again, you might say, well, what's the big deal here? And let me say, before I get into these statistics as well, um, some of the best moms that I knew in my life were those moms that I taught with in the inner city of Cleveland when I worked at St. Martin de Porres High School off of East 61st in St. Clair. They were working two to three jobs to get their kids through school. I mean, 90% of my kids came from single family households. They were amazing, amazing moms. So this isn't a put down towards single moms. It's just an acknowledgement that dads matter too. So if you care about justice, you have to care about the family. So poverty statistics, for example, children living in female HUD families with no spouse present had a poverty rate of 47.6%. That's according to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. That's over four times the rate of married couple families. And you go to other, every other important statistical category when it comes to the flourishing of the human person. We see that according, again, to the Health and Human Services, that fatherless children are at a dramatically greater risk of drug and alcohol abuse, physical and emotional health. Children of single parent homes are more than twice as likely to commit suicide. Educational achievement, 71% of high school dropouts are fatherless. Crime statistics, a study of 109 juvenile offenders indicated that family structure significantly predicts delinquency. In our jail and prison ministry here in the Diocese of Toledo, we're in six different jails and prisons, bringing the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to those individuals. I can almost tell you to a T uh, that we know these individual stories before we even meet them, that the father has been absent in their lives. And then, of course, sexual activity and teen pregnancy. The results revealed that adolescents in father absent homes were more likely to report being sexually active compared to adolescents living with their fathers. So in all these categories, in creating a culture of life and a culture of justice, it's really important that we support the family because when the family breaks down, then neighborhoods break down. And when neighborhoods break down, then so do cities, so do states, and so do nations. And that's what we're witnessing in our culture and society today. So I, I, I'm all for fighting for justice in all the areas of poverty and racism, uh, immigration, all these issues. We as Catholics, we need to be engaged in these issues. But we can't forget these foundational issues because we undercut our ability to bring about real and lasting solutions. If one, we don't say the human person has a right to life, 
And two, we don't fight for the family. You know, I'm a big fan of PBS. Please forgive me, but I watch the PBS NewsHour every night. I watch different shows, and they're always talking about these different government solutions that we could put on these issues to help fix problems. But I rarely hear them talk about, well, why don't we fix the family? And this goes to one of the founding principles of Catholic social teaching. And and there's three or four that we can name. One is the, the dignity of the human person, right? The second is solidarity, that we're one human family, we're called to take care of each other. But the third is subsidiarity, the the reality that local issues are best handled by local people. And if we don't respect the family, if we don't build up the family, that means individuals are more uh, dependent upon larger uh, bodies, including the federal government. And, And that never leads to a flourishing human society when individuals are dependent upon the government for their needs. Because what happens in large bureaucracies then is the individual gets lost. The individual doesn't really have their needs met. And that's what we want to do. We want to create that environment where kids can really flourish. And that requires both a mom and a dad in the home. Wow. Yeah. That, I mean, that's awesome. I, I was just thinking about a couple things as, as you spoke and was jotting down some notes. One that I think from a Catholic perspective, you've touched on it before, and I'll read it here, but we do need to have St. Paul's words in mind, you know, for we are not contending against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against the powers, against the world rulers of this present darkness, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So take on the whole armor of God. We have to recapture what is true, which is this is a battle that we're in. I mean, this is not not just a battle. I mean, this is a battle that is um, <laughs> visible and invisible, and 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 sometimes we don't take those together. That's so. That's one that I that I um, wanted to point out. That's a Catholic way of looking. Another one is that you pointed out is the the interconnectedness of of different issues. That there that it's not everything's not in a vacuum. That that. Our understanding of the human person flows into these ideas of subsidiarity and and um, solidarity, and that those are all connected and those flow out into practical, necessary practical responses. I was reading Matthew twenty five today, and you know it, it's striking that when Jesus says he's coming back, he he he's not saying you know. Did you believe in me? Did you trust in me? I mean, he's specifically saying, when I was hungry, did you feed me? When I was thirsty, did you give me to drink? And so I had a professor at UD that used to say to be Catholic is to be punchable. And 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 I and I, I've never forgot that because it takes the incarnation, it takes our humanity seriously. And that does call on us not to abdicate our role to the government or somebody else, but actually to accept the fact that those people we come in contact with, specifically our spouse and our children, but beyond that, the people that are in our town and other places, that's a Catholic view. That's a way that's a way of looking at it, which is an application of the truth that Jesus says at the at the end, we're going to stand before him, and that's how he's going to separate separate the sheep from the goats. And it's not going to be, did you believe in me? Did you trust in me? It's going to be that person that walked across your face that you need, that needed some help or needed a kind word or something, food, that's where it happens. So anyway. Amen, Trey. You know, on awakencatholic.org slash election, we just did a video on socialism and the dangers of socialism in our culture and society today. And that Matthew 25 verse that you brought up, you know, um, it doesn't say, you know, when you saw me hungry— did you create a social program that could feed me? It said, did you feed me? And I think we miss too often, we have this kind of big government mindset when it comes to helping people, but we're really called to individually be involved because when we're individually involved, then we learn someone's name, we learn their story. The French philosopher Camus said, God made man because he loves stories. So I invite people when they encounter a homeless person on the side of the street, it's not just material needs that they need, but they need to know that someone cares for them. They need someone to look them in the eyes, to treat them like a human being. And so we can't abdicate our personal responsibility to be engaged in these issues because that's why the church calls us to a preferential option for the poor. And that can include government solutions. Of course, we recognize there's some issues the government is going to need to be involved in. But if we abdicate our personal responsibility, 
we're ultimately missing the point that Jesus wants us personally involved. You know, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. And what is God's is the human person. And God wants us to be involved because God wants these individuals not only to have their material needs met, but he wants them to come to encounter him. He wants them to encounter Jesus. Mother Teresa said, he who does not give God gives too little. And, you know, I've been involved in many of these larger programs in my life in a lot of different ways. And uh, individuals, they're not treated like individuals. They're not treated like moms and dads and brothers and sisters. They're treated like a number. But we as a church, we treat them as children of God. So that's the gift, the great gift we bring to it is we're not just giving them bread, but we're giving them the bread that comes from heaven that leads to eternal life. And that's the goal and purpose of our life. You know, A.W. Tozer said that most Christians see this world as a playground when in actuality it's a battleground. And we're in the business of not just, you know, helping people materially, but we're in the business of saving souls. And Mark Cahill once said that, you know, 150,000 people before you hit your uh, head to the pillow tonight are going to pass off into eternity. Do you care? And we believe as Catholics that Jesus, as it says in John 14, 6, is the way, the truth, and the life. And people are starving to hear uh, that there is truth, that there is a way to heaven, especially today. You know, Trey, the most Googled search term during this entire COVID pandemic was, how do I pray? So people, in a time where we've shut down masses and we've closed the doors to our church, people are starving to hear how they find peace how they find God. We have to, especially today, go out and proclaim the gospel in how we live our lives, caring for the homeless, caring for the immigrant, and standing up for truth, standing up for the unborn child, standing up for marriage, and standing up for religious liberty, um, not only in our words and our speech, but also in the way that we vote as well. Right. And and one of the things that as you were talking and, and previously talked with regard to kind of how we look at it, it's so critical to to recapture and repropose uh, marriage as a sacrament, and and I because I I think that many people feel like it's impossible. Oh, hey, it's hard. I know I've been married thirty three years, and I know I've been hard on Stephanie. <laughs> but 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 the reality is is that we have to repropose. It's not only not only possible to get married and raise kids but it's actually the joy i've shared this before you know i always tell my kids you gotta you gotta dream you know what what is god calling you to do and don't be afraid you know live large he's a god that does that and dream and have a vision and go after that um always trusting that god's going to lead you and my son one of my sons who's more introspective just stopped me and said so hey dad are you uh are you living the dream <laughs> and 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 I said, well, if you'd talked to me when I was your age and then said this is what it would be like, I think the answer would have been no. But in reality, there is nothing that I can imagine that creates more joy now that my kids are gone for my kids to come back and see them interact with one another and to be in the presence of Stephanie and I and us get together, it's like a glimpse of heaven. It's it's a it's a visible reality that is actually showing the joy that we'll have when we get there. We have to have those Catholic eyes to recognize that marriage and family is a visible sign of what being in God's family is. And and, and we have a responsibility to proactively try to get that out there and encourage people to it's a great, it's, it is hard, but it is worth every second and you will get the grace that you need. So I, anyway, I had to throw that in because I, I think you were saying, I just, that's a, that's the Trey Cash achism. <laughs> well, anyway. Trey, I think that's so fundamentally important that we also preach that truth in the public square today, because when we've retreated from marriage laws in our culture and society, that leads to detrimental effects for the rest of culture and society. You know, going back to St. Thomas Aquinas, we recognize that every law, every civil law, 
must be based upon the natural law. And natural law, of course, we know is based upon the divine law. It's based upon who God is himself. So when I was campus minister, for example, on the campus of Bowling Green State University, a lot of my conversations revolved around with these young people. Well, because it's civilly uh, legal, then it must be good, true, and beautiful. I mean, people use the law to appeal to what they believe uh, is right. And, you know, that's very clear. I mean, our church, going back to the congregation of the doctrine and of the faith, tells us that, you know, recognizing, for example, homosexual marriages or same-sex marriages would result in changes to the entire organization of society contrary to the common good. And so we see that in our third component as well when it comes to religious liberty and how important that is in our election as well, uh, too, coming up. Because when you recognize, um, as we have same-sex marriage in our society, that has implications for private businesses. That has implications for adoption agencies. It has implications across the board. So let's look at those, if we can, just a little bit when it comes to how important religious liberty is in our society today, because that is directly impacted by this question around marriage. So first, when we're looking at uh, religious liberty, you have cases like the Little Sisters of the Poor, for example, which they've been fighting the Supreme Court for many years now so that they don't have to provide contraceptive uh, drugs and abortifacient drugs to their sisters or the people that work for them. And that came from the 2013 President Obama contraceptive mandate. Now, thankfully, they've won repeatedly in the courts But Vice President Biden, again here, has talked about he's going to relook at the statute if he is reelected. So that's one issue we have to worry about. The second issue we have to worry about is in the context of Catholic adoption agencies. You know, I work here at Catholic Charities, and we used to have an adoption program. But around the time that same-sex marriage was legalized in our country, we ended up having to shut down our adoption uh, agency. And we've seen that in the Archdiocese of Washington in San Francisco, in the entire state of Illinois, the entire state of Michigan, where Catholic adoption agencies have been forced to shut down by the government simply because they believe that every child deserves both a mom and a dad. Now, the Catholic Church isn't out there saying that, you know, adoption agencies that want to adopt out to a same-sex couple can't do that. All we're asking is that we're able to operate within the context of our conscience and our faith. And we believe And I think social science evidence purports and supports this, that every child flourishes best between a mom and a dad. So we wouldn't say, for example, that two two people of the same sex or whatever it may be can't love a child. They absolutely can. But it will never replace the complimentary love that both a mother and a father can give. And I see this every day with my three little ones. You know, the other day, um, John Paul was doing something he shouldn't be doing, my two-year-old, which he often does. Um, (laughs) And I kind of you know, raised my voice at John Paul. And he said, John Paul, that's inappropriate. And he looked up at me and kind of in his, you know, uh, language that he's still learning. He's what's inappropriate. <laughs> and mama ch- chimed in in the background and said, John Paul, that's a no, no. And he's like, okay. And then he dropped, you know, the thing that he shouldn't have in his hand. So there's different gifts that both mom and dad even bring to the gift of parenting. And we, when we look at religious liberty, we have to acknowledge that it's under severe threat and attack in our nation today because of the changing laws on marriage and then also gender as well. So our ability to go out and pronounce our faith in the public square has been under severe threat. In the first 110 years of our republic, Trey, the U.S. Supreme Court decided only three questions concerning religious liberty. But since 1940, in these last 80 years, there's been over 75 cases threatening religious liberty in our nation. And so when we look at where the candidates stand and where their platforms stand on this issue of religious liberty, it's so important that we fight for and we support our ability to go out and live our public public faith in the public square. Because it's not just freedom to worship in our churches, but it's where we work, it's where we go to school, it's everywhere. Right. And and I just want to attack, last thing I'll say, is this... um, misguided notion that there's a separation of church and state in our country. When that phrase came about, when Thomas Jefferson was writing to the Danbury Baptist, he was trying to assure the Danbury Baptist that the state would not encroach in the affairs of the church, not right. the other way around. Look, in our, in our country, we have in God we trust is on our coins. 
Under God is in our pledge. We start every session of Congress with prayer. A statue of Moses is in the Supreme Court. And every president is sworn in with their hand on the word of God, the Bible. So it's protecting our religious liberty, I mean, it's the very foundation of our nation. But we have individuals out there today. One last example. In the state of Michigan, for example, you have government authorities threatening businesses and trying to close businesses simply because they believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. You have a case in East Lansing, Michigan, where an individual simply put on their Facebook account that they believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. The next day, they got a call from the local county government, and they were told they were no longer welcome to sell their farmer's goods at the local farmer's market because they believe that. So if that's happening in our nation today, you can imagine if we continue to not protect religious liberty, jail is, and I'm not exaggerating here, it's around the corner for a lot of individuals who stand on this foundational principle, which has been uh, the reality in in the history of of human history for the last 2000 millennia, recognizing that marriage is between a man and a woman. Yeah, I think the point you're making, I think, points out that the, the Catholic Christian way of taking seriously the incarnation and taking seriously our humanity um, is where that has, there's a lot of people out there that think that, that being religious is simply being spiritual. It's, it's that it's only worship that we as Catholics and, and most Christians, if they're, if, if they're honest, believe that they have to apply what they believe to what they do. So it's going to have a concrete impact that if they violate that, then they're actually violating their faith, which means they're going they're not being free to practice their religious liberty. But that connection between the concrete day to day and faith is has been tried to be disconnected, I think, philosophically and in reality. I mean, so we have to take back <laughs> that it does matter. Not not just that I can go to church, but that I can serve the poor, or that I can stand up for what we believe as a church in the way that I look at adopting children out, which is hugely important. I mean, and so anyway, I'm just piggybacking off what you said, but... Well, 100%. And it also, I mean, what you said is really important. Is the Catholic Church going to be allowed to continue to serve the poor in the manner that we think will help the human person flourish? And so right now, the Alliance Defending Freedom, for example, is defending a multitude of court cases where homeless agencies in searching to serve um, battered women, for example, or women who are victims of domestic abuse, um, believe that they should only shelter women. But with the new transgender ideology that is being pushed upon the nation, um, some of these agencies are being forced to accept biological males into their homeless shelters. Now think about how that makes those women who have been abused by men feel when they're just trying to run away from an abusive man. Um, We're putting individuals at risk by accepting these ideologies, and we're also removing kids from their families because of this transgender ideology. So for example, again, and you know, I don't mean to, to pick on Vice President Biden here, but this came out recently in his most recent town hall. He said that he believes that eight-year-olds should be allowed to choose their gender. Now, what is the implications of that? Right here in Cincinnati, Ohio, last year, we had a young individual growing up in their household who wanted to begin their transition from being a girl to being a boy. The mom and dad said, no, uh, we don't want you to inject yourself with hormonal drugs that are unproven. It could be dangerous to your health. That young lady went to the court system, and the court ruled that she could be taken from her home and placed with her grandparents and begin these uh, hormonal drugs so that she could transition from a female to a male. Now, you guys have kids. Can you imagine if one of your kids was struggling psychologically with gender dysphoria and you said, sweetie, we love you so much, but we don't think giving you these drugs are best now, but individuals from the state and the court ruled that they can be taken out of your home to be given these really dangerous drugs. And this isn't hypotheticals. This happened right here in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I know there's a case out of Texas as well that happened not too recently where individuals are removed from their homes simply because the parents believed that they should hold off on beginning a gender transition. So we as Catholics and Christians, we have to wake up and realize the battle we're in for the soul of our nation today. If we abandon truth, as you know, Pope Bendix said, the more we push God to the horizons, 
the more anything becomes possible. And we're seeing that happen in our culture today where we've abandoned the definition of marriage. We've abandoned the fundamental belief that every child deserves to simply live. And we've now even abandoned that people are made male and female. And at the end of the day, that's really a spiritual attack, right? Because what are the first things we hear in the book of Genesis? We're made in the image and likeness of God, Genesis 1, 27. So the devil's attacking that. And the first commandment that God gives us is be fruitful and multiply. So where does the devil attack us? He attacks us in our progeny, and he tricks us into believing that it's okay to kill our own children. Yeah, no, I mean, that is essential to understanding what's going on here. This is more than just a bunch of individual issues that we're having to deal with. This is a fundamental problem because we have not, as Catholics, engaged the culture as well as we ought to. And part of that begins next week when, when, when we vote. We're, we're down to a couple minutes. I don't know if I, I, we'd love to have you back if you'd be willing to do it another, uh, another time. But if you had a minute, which is about what you have, a minute and a half, to kind of uh, tie it in a bow and, and leave parents out there and listeners and, and us with something, then um, we'd love to have that if, if you feel up to that. Absolutely, Trey. Well, thanks so much for the opportunity. Tremendously appreciate it. Thank you. And may God bless your work and your apostolate there in Texas. Keep up the great work that you're doing. I would say three things. Number one, uh, pray like never before and pray over your kids, pray over your family members every single day and night. Pray without ceasing for this nation, for our country and your circle of influence. Number two, in these conversations, always have them in love. Just try to leave people with little nuggets to think about. You don't have to bring people from A to Z. We're just looking to bring them from A to B on these issues, and God will do the rest of that work. And number three, when it comes to this upcoming election, just simply remember, as we fight for the human dignity of every single human person, their rights to immigrate, education, housing, and health care, we have to remember that they don't have any of those rights unless they have the right to live. So when you vote, vote first and foremost for the most precious right we have, the right to life. Wow. Thank you very much. You did tie that in the pretty well. Mm-hmm. Usually better they than did. me. But um, we, we thank you so much, and we want we want to have you back. Um, but hold on as we end this, uh, just to catch up with you before before you go. But I'll, I'll, I'll do what I, what I don't do as well as Stephanie, but I'm going to say it anyway. Always remember, pray, parent with a purpose, and prepare for God to amaze you. And he will. I promise. God bless you guys. Pray for us. We'll be praying for you, and we'll see you next week. Remember to vote. God bless.